0: is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, before we get into today's content, I just wanted to remind you that if you are enjoying this content, please leave us five stars wherever you're listening to this and a review. Because guys, we're seeing an uptick in our listens here recently, and that's because this is being shared around, but also the algorithm loves it when you leave five stars and a review. That's how these places make money, so please go ahead and do that. But let's go ahead and launch in for today. So on Friday, September the 18th, last Friday, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg succumbed to pancreatic cancer at the age of 87. So, um, this has been dominating the news cycle since then. Uh, and for good reason, there's a lot to go into today. That's why we're doing this podcast. And she served on the court since 1993. She was nominated by president Bill Clinton at the time. Uh, she was originally seen as a moderate. That's something that's not really being talked about a whole lot right now, because everyone's just talking about what she ended up doing and kind of where she ended up towards the her judicial career. But she was originally seen as a moderate, someone that could actually, you know, gain uh, sympathies from both sides but she quickly uh, made her leftist presence felt on the court. And many of her decisions, especially on social issues, definitely went towards the far left. Uh, She was a hardened feminist. um, But the thing about today is today is not about critiquing her jurisprudence or eulogizing her on this podcast. There are literally hundreds of other resources that do those other two things. But I did just want to go ahead and say this, that regardless regardless of all the myriad of things that I disagree with that woman on personally on just about every issue possible. She deserves at least some respect, right? And at the end of the day, she has succumbed, uh, to, to uh, to cancer. Uh, she's, just another statistic for someone that has died of cancer. That is a sad thing. That is a sad thing for her and for her family. Uh, I don't know what her personal faith was like. If I, I don't really know where she is right now, but at the same time, this is a sad situation. And she is one of not, she was one of nine Supreme court justices. They're really, if you look at, in terms of humanity, there's been a handful of people that have been Supreme court justices for the United States of America. She was one of them. And so at the very least she accomplished a great deal. And uh, it's been great to see a lot of people that just disagreed with her vehemently come out and just say how much they, they respect her and the things that she was able to do and the mark that she was able to leave. But again, this is not about eulogizing her or critiquing her in any way, shape or form. She has passed away. And now we get to deal with the fallout right? And there's going to be a lot of it. Uh, Now I remember where I was. It's just kind of funny. I was out running errands for my wife at the time. We had like a toilet broken at one of our uh, properties. We had this going on over here, this going on over there. And I was literally, I had gone to Arby's because that's like my jam. I love going to Arby's and I went and got me a gigantic roast beef sandwich and some curly fries. And I pulled over basically to the side of the road and I'm eating this in my car. And before I went off to the next thing, and then I get the message from, I think it was a Fox news alert or AP alert saying that she had passed away. And immediately I was like, oh crap, this is, it. of course, of course 2020, of course this would happen. Now, it's not a a, a tremendous surprise because we've seen that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has not been in good health, uh, especially for the last several years you know, the cancer is kind of come and gone or gone up and down, depending upon which uh, reports you were seeing of her sickness. But it wasn't a huge surprise that an 87 year old woman with cancer passed away, but it's the timing being this close to the November 3rd elections uh, with everything happening in the country with COVID-19, with the political, social, racial unrest, everything right now, this just throws, gosh, this throws literally a Molotov cocktail, all pun intended, into the middle of all of this that's going on. Now, What I will say is almost immediately after I got the news that she had passed away, I also got the news that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican Senate Majority Leader from Kentucky, he came out and said that there would be a vote on the Senate floor, that there 100% would be a vote to replace her. And I thought the timing was odd. I mean, at the end of the day, life has to move on. We've got to take care of business. But I guess if it were me, I would have probably waited a day right? Let's let everything kind of settle, let the dust settle for a little bit. There wasn't a huge advantage to making that announcement on Friday as opposed to Saturday, but that, that was at the very least interesting, but that did just strike me a, a touch inappropriate, but you know, it happened. It is what it is. But a lot of hay is being made now about what RBG's final wish was right? So we we get this report also on Friday night that her granddaughter said that her final wish, right? Her dying wish was that her seat would not be filled until after the next election. So many people are talking about this and there's a lot of people critiquing, you know, Donald Trump right now for saying, he said basically the Democrats, uh, you know, Schumer and Pelosi and all them, that they kind of made this up. I don't really see that there's any evidence for that, but you know, that's just him talking trash because that's what he does. But this is a pretty ridiculous thing to be a headline for a lot of people, that a woman's dying wish was something that could irrevocably change the direction of a court for a country. Um, and also there's a huge part of me that wishes that she spent her dying moments or her hope that she spent her dying moments thinking of something else other than the Supreme Court perhaps of her daughter or her son or her grandchildren or just her extended family and friends. I would think that she spent more time thinking about that. But again, in the politicization of everything uh, right now, of course, that would be the thing that everybody focuses in on. But what a ridiculous thing for people to expect the United States Congress and for the president to abide by a woman's dying wish. Because again, and I'm, I'm certainly not the per- first person to point this out. What if a incredibly conservative judge that had passed away? So Scalia, when he passed away, if his final wish was, hey, let's overturn Roe, or let's make sure that the next two people that we put on the court are conservatives, or, you know, make sure that everybody in America gets a taco uh, tomorrow, like none of that would make sense. Okay. It's a dying person's wish, but wishes don't just come true. And it certainly doesn't come true because you wear a fancy robe and you have an important job. And so, any of you out there, if, if you feel any modicum of pull towards that idea that we should honor this woman's dying wish and leave the seat open in the meantime, that's a ridiculous thing. Like, let's just be straight up honest. Again, I'm not trashing a dead woman here. And, and I would assume that that is what she said at some point before her death. But yeah, that, that doesn't actually really matter. But the, the reality of the situation here, and again, I'm not piling on this woman or on her legacy, but she made a tactical and narrative based decision. Which led to a mistake, right? So Ginsburg decided that she was not going to retire during the Obama administration. Okay, she was originally diagnosed with cancer during the Obama administration. I can't remember what year it was off the top of my head, but she was she was right there. She could have retired right then, and Obama would have put someone on there just like he did with Sotomayor or Kagan, someone that's very very socially and otherwise liberal, right? But she chose not to do that, and the reported reason is because she wanted. To be replaced by the first female president in the history of this country. Now, everybody, including you, including everyone on the planet, except for maybe Donald J. Trump, thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election in 2016, but she didn't. So basically Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been spending the majority of the last three and a half years, better part of four years, trying to just stay alive. And I know that's a curt way of saying it, but that's the reality. She just wanted to stay alive at the chance that Donald Trump might be replaced by a Democratic candidate, thus replacing her seat with another liberal. It just didn't work out that way. So some people are like, oh well that's her mistake and that's her fault. There's, there's no real I guess there is fault here. Like if that was what you wanted, if you wanted to preserve the liberal leaning of your seat, you would have you had an eight year span to, to go ahead and, you know, hang it up and retire. She chose not to. So bad for Democrats, great for Republicans, but almost immediately, as you can imagine, Democrats started freaking out, absolutely freaking out and not just freaking out, making open threats as to what the fallout would be from this. Um, you know, there's certainly the people online, there's that video going around with that woman driving in her car and she's just losing her mind. And the funny thing about that is she hit record knowing she was about to freak out. And then she goes, Oh, this is a great video. I'm going to post this online, not realizing she would just basically become a meme for people on the right. But you know, everyone's losing their minds. Um, there were protests that immediately broke out. I don't know if those protests turned into really violent riots, but you know, who can tell anymore because of what we're seeing. But then we also saw some, uh, fundraising records that got broken. The democratic party raised, uh, just over $90 million in 24 hours. I think it was like nine point one something uh, dollars in 28 hours after the announcement of her death. I mean, an absolute deluge of money coming into the Democratic Party to try and help them, you know, win the Democratic ticket uh, for not only for the Senate but also for the presidency. But here's the the thing that we've seen: the Democrats say and that they've threatened. And these are Democrats that are holding office. These are Democrats that are in the media, which is basically all uh, Democrats. Uh, These are people that are making these open threats, these overt threats. Now they're, they're writing articles for the the LA times and for the Washington Post. There are four main threats that we're getting right now. Number one, we're going to stack the Supreme court. Number two, we're going to make states out of Washington, DC, Puerto Rico, and maybe even Guam. Number three, we're going to end the filibuster And number four, we might even impeach Donald Trump again. Now you just got to think about this for a second. Those are unbelievable threats, but the interesting thing about it, and I I think Mitch McConnell actually pointed this out, is they've already shot the hostage. So that's an interesting uh, way of saying that. I actually love that, that phraseology. But the thing is, is it's, it's a threat that they've levied over the last several days, but these are already threats that were out there from these same people. These aren't new ideas that they're wanting to stack the Supreme Court, add states in the filibuster and impeach Donald Trump just in case he sneezes wrong, right? But they're they're more overt about it now. These were things that were mentioned during the Democratic run-up to basically Joe Biden being the nominee. This has been mentioned at other times. But at the end of the day, all of those threats are threats of something very specific, and it's political terrorism, which you might think is too heavy handed, but you have to think about it. You have to really think about it. And I'm certainly not the first person to talk about it in this way. You know, there's a lot of people that have been talking about this and writing articles about this, but if you stack the Supreme court, like if you extend it from nine justices to 13 and you add four that are of your liking, if you add States that will definitely become democratic senators, if you end the filibuster, and if you impeach the president because he's doing his constitutionally mandated job. We're not sure that there will be a country left standing on the other side of that because let's just play this out. Let's say Joe Biden wins a presidency and the Senate flips from being Republican controlled to Democrat control. The house is going to stay no matter what, basically in November. But if you have all of those branches of government blue and you decide to ram these things through the, 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 I don't think the right's going to be quiet anymore. Now we have different tactics than the left. But I think that's gonna be a fairly extreme response. And I don't think there's gonna be a lot of states, like my home state of Oklahoma, we're not gonna be down with that. Texas isn't gonna be down with that. Like, we're just not gonna be seeing people be okay with this because we are not going to be controlled by these political terrorists. People that are, I mean, this, this is a child that's in the toy store and they're just like, oh, mommy, I want this toy, I want this toy, I want it, or I'm gonna throw a fit, I'm gonna poop my pants right here in the store. That's what we're seeing. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like the signals that you're sending about where you're going to go. So here's my over the top reaction to it. So here's the thing, guys. I hope they're bluffing. I really do. But if they're not, can you imagine the fallout? So we'll keep our eye on that for sure. But now a lot of hay is also being made about what happened in 2016 when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. And the, basically what the Republicans are doing right now, which is, you know, cause at the time the argument, the bad argument was made by Republicans in 2016 that, Hey, this is the last year of, you know, an election cycle, you know, we're not going to go ahead and nominate this person. Uh, We're not going to basically do our jobs. We're we're, we're not going to put this person up for a vote. That's essentially the argument that they made the most cogent argument that they made. But now you're seeing a lot of people saying, Oh, look at the Republicans. They're flip-flopping now. Right? You know, all of a sudden we're just, you know, a month and a half away from an election, but they're just going to ram this person through. And guys, a lot of people have explained this, but I just got to tell you, I don't think anyone has explained it better than Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Okay. So I'm going to play this clip. I think he was on, he was on one of the Sunday shows, maybe meet the press or something like that. And he was asked about this situation in 2016 with mayor Garland and the upcoming situation with Trump's incoming nominee for the Supreme court. So let me just go ahead and play this for you. Cause I thought he did a great job of summing it up. So here it is.
1: Uh, if you look at history, if you actually look at what the precedent is, This has happened 29 times, 29 times there has been a vacancy in a presidential election year. Now, presidents have made nominations all 29 times. That's what presidents do. If there's a vacancy, they make a nomination. What has the Senate done? And there's a big difference in the Senate with whether the Senate is of the same party of the president or a different party of the president. When the Senate has been of the same party of the president, a vacancy occurs in an election year. Of the 29 times, those are 19 of them. Of those 19, the Senate has confirmed those nominees 17 times. So if the parties are the same, the Senate confirms the nominee. When the parties are different, that's happened 10 times. Merrick Garland was one of them. Of those 10, the Senate has confirmed the nominees only twice. And and there's a reason for that. It's not just simply your party, my party. The reason is it's it's a question of checks and balances. In order for a Supreme Court nomination to go forward, you have to have the president and the Senate. In this instance, the American people voted. They elected Donald Trump. A big part of the reason they elected Donald Trump is because of the Scalia vacancy, and they wanted principled constitutionalists on the court. And a big part of the reason why we have a Republican majority elected in 2014, reelected in 2016, grown even larger in 2018, a major issue in each of those elections is the American people voted and said we want constitutionalist judges. And so the president was elected to do this and the Senate was elected to confirm this nomination.
0: Well, there you go, guys. I'm Again, this is a very important thing for everyone to understand because if you don't understand the history of what's going on in this situation, you might be inclined to say that this is exactly like the situation back in 2016. Now, I remember sitting down a couple of years ago with a buddy and we're, we're having a few drinks and we're talking about that situation and he's very much so on the left. And he was like, well, Kyle, don't you think it was unfair that Merrick Garland wasn't voted on? And at the time I was like, yeah, that was pretty unfair. I wish they would have voted on him and just voted no, but instead they just didn't let him through. But I don't care. I'm glad he's not on the court. I'm glad we got Gorsuch instead of Garland. I'm totally okay with that. But I didn't realize the precedent that, that Ted Cruz just described right there, which is essentially when the parties are the same, it pretty much goes through. When the parties aren't the same, they don't go through. There's a lot of precedent for this. And again, We have to remember because this is just kind of a small thing. Like, you know, it was always big news whenever the House turned over from Republican to Democrat. But at the time, we have expanded as in terms of our voting as a country for the number of Republicans that are on the Senate now and if they didn't you know put Roy Moore down there in Alabama it would be an even bigger uh, amount of people that we would have uh, on the Republican side inside the Senate but that's just basically the way that it is so these people that are saying that Donald Trump is you know basically destroying the legacy or stepping on the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by simply nominating somebody it's absurd because a nominee is always named. And then it's up to the Senate to figure out what to do from there. And they're going to advise and consent and move on. So again, I think that was a great way of that being summed up, but to move on, we do need to look at basically whether or not the Republicans have the votes to do this right now. Cause that's the big key is do they actually have the votes to do this? Because one of my early thoughts, I'm sitting there enjoying my, uh, my Arby's, uh, roast beef sandwich and my, and my, uh, Arby's sauce all over my French fries. And then at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, dang it, Mitt Romney's going to mess this up for everybody. That was like one of my first thoughts while I'm sitting there is Mitt Romney is going to use this as another opportunity to stick it to Donald Trump, but... He actually is not going to be that person. Yeah, he'll impeach him, but apparently he will vote for the individual that is put up by Donald Trump because he announced Tuesday, this is yesterday as of the recording of this, that he would vote to support the nominee. And this is specifically what he said. I'm just going to piecemeal some of the parts from his quote here. So quote, I intend to follow the constitution and precedent in considering the president's nominee. If the nominee reaches the Senate floor, I intend to vote based on their qualifications. And then he continues on, historical precedent of election year nominations is that the Senate generally does not confirm an opposing party's nominee, but does confirm a nominee of its own, unquote. So again, he's just kind of driving home the point that was made previously by Ted Cruz, but this is surprising and also not surprising because it's surprising because this guy literally has a personal vehemence against Donald Trump. That is so very clear. I think Donald Trump uh, and he don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. I think Donald Trump thought that, uh, or he made... (laughs) Uh, Romney think that he was going to be Secretary of State, and then he went with somebody else. Like I, I think there's a lot of bad blood there. It obviously led to the impeachment for you know Mitt Romney giving that ridiculous vote to impeach our president. But at this point, I think this is just a shrewd political move for Mitt Romney. For Mitt Romney, he sees that he lives in the state of Utah, and if he did not vote for the Supreme Court nominee, let's say he was the deciding vote to not approve a nominee for the Supreme Court from Donald Trump, that that was going to be the end of his political career right? Not not just being a Senator in Utah, that's the end of his political career. There'd be nowhere else for him to go. He just needs to ride off into the sunset and count his millions. But at the end of the day, this was going to be horribly suicidal for his political career. So he decided that he was going to go against that. But then there were a couple of other Republicans uh, that have, have come out before and said things that would make you think that they wouldn't vote for them. But this was Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado. But they both announced on Monday, a day before Mitt Romney, that they would support President Trump's nominee the only two, as of now, the two lame ducks that we have are Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine. So Susan Collins, is, is in, she's in a toss up race for her seat in Maine right now. And so she's trying to see, what, she's basically trying to see which way the wind is blowing, right? Which way her constituents are moving. Because obviously for her, she wants to make a decision that keeps her seat. So if she thinks that blocking the nominee or not voting for the nominee will help, will help her, that's what she'll do. If she thinks that approving the nominee will help her, that's what she will do. But she's in a very tight race. But as of right now, there's only two. So the Republicans seem to have the votes. That's what it seems like right now. And guys, cocaine, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, he's not going to even pretend like this is going to go up for a vote. If he doesn't think he can get it through and just, it would go against everything that we've seen about how Mitch McConnell has ran the Senate and been the Senate majority leader for all these years. It just wouldn't make a lot of sense for this to not work out in that way. So The other part of it is, is Donald Trump is signaling that on Saturday of this week, he's going to announce the the person that he thinks uh, should be the next person on the Supreme Court. Um, And when he does that, all hell might literally break loose no matter who he does. I thought it would be funny if he just trolled everybody and announced that he is going to nominate Michelle Obama just to see people's minds go crazy because they wouldn't know how to, to deal with the dissonance only to say, no, 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 just kidding. This is exactly who I would put up. But all hell will literally break loose no matter what. There is literally no telling what leftists agitators, Marxists, Antifa, Black Lives Matter will do when this person is announced. Because guaranteed, the person that is announced will automatically be Satan, no matter what. No matter what they've done in their lives, no matter how good or bad they've been, they're Satan. They're the worst kind of evil. It, it's going to be the worst thing possible. And guys, I'm I'm actually very concerned about what this process is going to look like, because we're going to talk about the potential nominees here in just a second. But no matter what happens, when, when they start doing the hearings and doing their advice and consent and all those different things, the level of security that will have to happen for these things to, to, to go on is going to have to be extreme. I mean, you'll remember after Donald Trump accepted the Republican nomination in Washington, D.C., we had sitting senators, Rand Paul, being basically accosted on the street by Black Lives Matter and Antifa, just trying to get back to their hotels. I mean, the level of security and Secret Service that's going to have to happen for, for these people to be safe during the senators, but also whoever's being nominated is going to be extreme. And I'm sure agitators are going to be burning cities and rioting and breaking windows and all that just because they can, because the, in the cities where they're doing that, they're not going to be stopped, which little sidebar, isn't it interesting that Lancaster, you know, where Matt Griner, our lovely Matt Griner, the drummer of August Burns Red, they had a riot, right? You know, after uh, the death of a guy that was literally trying to stab a cop to death, uh, the cop shot him and, you know, justified shooting, but everybody freaks out, right? Isn't it funny that we haven't heard about riots in Lancaster anymore? The reason is, is because within 24 hours of the starting of the riots, the police and law enforcement in that area got all the rioting stopped. They arrested a bunch of people and they were being held on a million dollars bail for rioting. So here's a quick, quick thing for Seattle, Portland, Washington, DC, any of these other places where they're allowing this type of thing to go on Kenosha and in Minneapolis, guys, if you arrest these people, and you hold them in jail, not release them the same day, it's amazing that they won't be right out there setting things on fire. Isn't that incredible? But we'll go ahead and launch back in here. Let's go ahead and get into the potential nominees for this seat. So in my perspective, and I'm not alone here, Trump has to hit a home run with this pick. He has to. Because guys, I liked the Gorsuch pick, and he's already made some decisions that I don't agree with, but I think overall, over the next several decades, we will like the Gorsuch pick. I don't like the Kavanaugh pick. I'm pretty sure I said it at the time here on this podcast. I thought it was absolutely absurd what they did to him and to his family, right? Uh, The Democrats have shown their cards, like they're going to be as vicious as they possibly can be with anyone that Trump puts up. But I don't think Kavanaugh is going to end up being very constitutionally conservative. I I just don't. Uh, He's already signaled some things that we've seen. I wasn't really a huge fan of the pick to begin with. So I feel like he really has to knock it out of the park this time. So Trump has already said that he will likely nominate a woman. Um, Again, I don't really like the idea of identity politics playing into this. I gave the same uh, type of treatment to Joe Biden when he said that he was going to name a female vice president, and he was also going to name a female vice president of color. It's like, okay, you've severely limited your options. Why don't you just pick the person that's most qualified for the job and not base it on their immutable characteristics? So I would give the same critique to Donald Trump. I don't like the fact that he said that outright, regardless of what his plans were, but hey, it is what it is. But here are the the three potential people that are being talked about the most. There's Amy Coney Barrett, which you've probably heard about a lot, Barbara Lagoa, and Alison Jones rushing. So Amy Comey Barrett is 48 years old. She's on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. She is the front runner. Uh, she supposedly met with Donald Trump at the White House on Monday. That's been confirmed from from several different sources. Um, this is who I wanted to begin with, aside from Kavanaugh. Like I didn't want Kavanaugh. I wanted Amy Comey Barrett. That's who I wanted from the beginning. She's been described as a female Antonin Scalia. That's who she's been described as. She used to clerk for Scalia. She is a devout Catholic. She is a gangster on the abortion issue. She's a mother of seven. Two of those kids are adopted from Haiti. Uh, She just seems to be an incredibly bright, incredibly impressive justice, but incredibly conservative, constitutionally conservative, right? She's one of the people that could be up there. I would be ecstatic if she is chosen. But then you also have Barbara Lagoa, She's 52. She's on the U S court of appeals for the 11th circuit. Uh, she is the daughter of two Cuban, I guess we can call them refugees, right? Uh, and she's in Florida. And so she is another person that, uh, Donald Trump put on a federal bench. Um, she seems to be fairly conservative in the things that she's done. She obviously comes from a, a background that is, um, shows you what communism actually brings you. I mean, she grew up basically steeped in the lessons of what happens if you're actually under a communist regime. But the other thing about it is, is there are Electoral implications here because she is from Florida. And so Florida is going to be a tight race. You got dorks like LeBron James and other people, uh, George Soros, they're paying for felons in, in the, the fines for felons in the state of Florida in order for them to be able to be released to vote, which isn't that super interesting that they just automatically assume these people are going to vote for Joe Biden? And they're probably right in that. But that's another little sidebar. But this person, if she is put up there, that might give a bump to Donald Trump's numbers in Florida. For the sake of our country and for the sake of the court, I hope that's not the main reason. If she is chosen, I hope that's not the main reason that, you know, Donald Trump's wanting to win an election here in six years, because obviously at most Donald Trump gets another four years as president, but someone like, uh, whoever he puts up here could be on the bench for 30, 40 years, right? So it's just a little bit of a different situation. And then there's Alison Jones rushing. She's the youngest uh, one that's being floated around. She's only 38 years old and she's on the U S court of appeals for the fourth circuit. And to be honest with you guys, I don't know enough about her. Uh, she has not been mentioned. It basically seems like it's a two-horse race between Barrett and Lagoa right now. But maybe we'll get uh, get a surprise here and it's going to be Allison Jones rushing. But again, I really hope that he goes with Amy Comey Barrett. I really hope that he goes with her. Um, but the main reason, there's a lot of reasons, right? But the main reason I want him to pick Amy Coney Barrett is I want the Senate Democrats on record for their hatred of religious people because the biggest thing quote unquote wrong with amy coney barrett is the fact that she's a devout catholic and an outspoken devout catholic and is someone who has talked about her job as a justice being for the building of the kingdom of god ultimately and when a liberal hears that when an atheist when when a secular humanist hears that they just explode they lose their minds because that is so counter to what agrees with their sensibilities And I want all these people on record because they kind of did it with Kavanaugh, right? They talked about his Catholic faith, but they were too busy calling him a gang rapist, right? To to really notice the fact that they were hating on him because he was Catholic, right? But with Amy Coney Barrett, that's essentially the whole picture, right? Unless they're going to say she's like in charge of some you know ring of people that murders puppies or that you know she's in MS-13 somehow, like they'll make up something, right? they'll just make up something whole cloth. But at the end of the day, she's a devout Catholic and that's where they're going to attack her. And I want them on record. I want us to always be able to look back. So when we're talking to people and they're like, Oh no, 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 Like liberals and, and leftists and Democrats, they don't, they don't hate religious people. You're crazy. Why would you say something like that? Why would you, why would you say something that was so inaccurate? It's like, uh, uh, we have 40 plus Democrats that basically went on record saying they hated her because of her religion right? So I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. But here's the big thing that I need to talk about, because another one of the first thoughts that I had is that, oh my gosh, this might this might take down Roe v. Wade. You know, we're replacing Ginsburg with an incredibly conservative justice. You know, Roe v. Wade is about to be taken down, right? this is This is finally the time that we take the legs out from one of the worst judicial decisions in the history of this country. But I'm going to kind of be a big downer for conservatives and for Christians here is that this pick doesn't really threaten Roe v. Wade right now. It just doesn't. And so, so follow me as I kind of explain this here. So right now we have quote unquote conservative justices. So let me go and list those. We've got Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and then Trump's nominee. That's six. But the reason why I say quote unquote conservatives is because someone like Roberts, the chief justice, he has voted like a liberal. And he has broken a lot of four, four ties and has gone with the liberal side. Right. And he's saying now oh, it's because of precedent and I don't want to go against precedent. And so right now you've got six quote unquote, conservative justices, right. It, with Trump's nominee being added to that. And then the liberal justices are Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan. Right. But here's the deal. Here are the people that will not vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we already have Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan. That's three. Justice Roberts, as I mentioned before, he's number four. There's no way he's voting to overturn Roe v. Wade, especially with his new obsession with precedent, right? Here's the other thing. I don't think Kavanaugh or Alito would vote to do that either. So that's six. Because even if I'm wrong about Kavanaugh or Alito, that gets them to five because it would be Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, Roberts, and then either Kavanaugh or Alito. So in terms of right now, what I see the people who would, who would likely vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, it's Justice Thomas, who is my favorite justice. He's my superhero. Then you have Barrett, if she's nominated. Again, I'm just going to assume she's nominated. I think she would vote to overturn Roe and maybe Gorsuch. Maybe Gorsuch. But I think there's two solid ones. If it's Thomas, or Thomas definitely would. And then if Barrett is nominated, that's two solids and one maybe. But here's the deal where it gets a little bit interesting. The next president, whether it's Joe Biden, or Kamala Harris or Donald Trump, they might get three picks because it seems like Donald Trump's going to get his third pick for the Supreme court, right? But right now, justice Breyer is 82 years old. Justice Thomas is 72 years old and Alito is 70 years old. So that's one liberal and two conservatives. So let's say Trump wins this election and gets all three of those picks. Let's say all of them retire right? During this time period, or, you know, unfortunately, if something were to happen to them and they're no longer with us, they're no longer alive, you would have Barrett plus the three new justices. So there's four and maybe Gorsuch as your swing vote. There's five. So let me say that again. Obviously you got Breyer, Thomas, Alito, one, one two conservatives and one liberal. So if Trump wins reelection and all three of those seats come up and he puts them in, you'll get someone like Barrett, probably Barrett, you'll get the other three justices that he would elect and nominate over the next four years, and then maybe Gorsuch has a swing vote. So as of right now, all these people freaking out, all these Democrats freaking out that perhaps they're not going to be able to kill babies, like at the convenient rate that they're killing them right now, like they don't really don't need to worry. Like they, they, these are people that just don't pay attention to the decisions that are handed down by these justices. This doesn't flip that. But there is a decent possibility that if Donald Trump is reelected, that it would be. And so the podcast today is not about who you should vote for in November. Believe me, I'm still spending some time thinking through that and thinking about how I'm going to bring that information to all of you guys. But the general consensus here is that elections have consequences. So right now, all those people that didn't really pay attention to those Senate debates in their states, or you know, didn't feel the need to go vote, or maybe it was raining that day, so it was kind of inconvenient for them. Elections have consequences. And if you live in a state that has two Republican senators and you're a very liberal person and you want to make sure that liberals can keep killing babies, you know, you're not very happy right now. You think the world's falling down. You're thinking that a lot of these religious liberties that you find bigoted are going to be enshrined now, even though they already are, because that precludes and precedes basically what we've seen with the uh, U.S. Constitution and the founding of this country. But at the same time, these people don't realize that elections have consequences because every year that we have elections, we have (laughs) these people that scream the loudest and then they don't end up going to vote. Right. And the quiet folks, some call them the silent majority or just people that are quiet about their political leanings. Those are the people that actually hop in their truck or hop on a bus and they go to the polling station and they vote. So elections have consequences. Can you imagine what would be happening right now if Hillary Clinton one in 2016 and they had flipped the Senate blue. We would be looking at our third justice and there would be a super, super duper majority even of liberal justices on the Supreme Court, such a majority that it, it may take generations to flip that, if ever able to flip that. So let this be a message to you guys. There's a lot of guys that get really lazy about voting, right? And oh, I don't want to vote my conscience because that doesn't make sense. You can't legislate and you can't do this. Whatever your excuses. It has a difference. It makes a difference. So again, for me, I live in the state of Oklahoma, right? Just about every uh, position that could be red in this state is red. Our senators are going to remain red. We're going to vote every county for Donald Trump in November. But at the same time, this is a time for you, even if you're in a state like that, if you're in the state of Oklahoma, all of these things matter. The, the messages that you send out to people, the discussions that you have with people, these all matter. Because what if you're talking to someone and they didn't even understand the precedent of what's happening right now, that this isn't uncommon for a president in, a, in you know the last year of their term to go ahead and put up a nominee. And if the Senate is from the same party, that they will likely put that person through. You got to be able to explain that around. But guys, buckle up it's going to be crazy. And I'm releasing this episode a little bit earlier uh, than the normal schedule because I'm assuming something might change tonight. So I want to get it to you now. So I have plausible deniability that I didn't know this had changed or that had changed. We've got some stuff on the off and coming. We already have the city of Louisville. They're preparing for the fallout of whatever's going to be announced this week about Breonna Taylor. It looks like they're not going to be charging or arresting the officers with the shooting and killing of Breonna Taylor. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So guys, I'm assuming this isn't going to be the last time I talked to you this week, but if not, we'll get after it next week. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. But before we let you go, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. I kind of got to have myself there for a second. We are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing you content that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I've got a very interesting article for you. It's from 538. So they do a lot of uh, kind of political... Uh, data analysis and things like that, but it's called what the Supreme court's unusually big jump to the right might look like. So it kind of looks at, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is seen as the most liberal or the second most liberal judge on the court. And if Donald Trump elects somebody that would be, you know, even to the right of justice Thomas, basically what that would do to the potential, uh, operation of the court over the long term and how this could affect decisions that are forthcoming. So I thought it was a very interesting article. Article, It's not that long, so you should definitely check it out. All right, guys, thanks so much. We really appreciate listening to the podcast. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, like I said, from the jump, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one in a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your team, at your company, hit me up info at undaunted.life. That is the email info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash Undaunted life. Check out our devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.